97.1 FM Talk. On Demand Audio. Former Missouri Senator Jim Talent joins us now. It's always a pleasure to have him on the line. Mr. Talent, welcome to 97.1. Well, thank you. And it's always a pleasure to be with you, Ryan. Someone that pays close attention to foreign intelligence, seeing that a world leader like Zelensky making his first trip out of his country, which is at war, to the United States to talk to, I guess one of their biggest donators. That's a pretty big deal in Washington, D.C. today. Yeah, it's a very big deal. It's no accident he came here. Uh, Ukraine has performed very well and um, is has a very good chance of improving its situation, but it depends on continued Western support, which in turn depends on the position of the United States. So he's been he's been kicking butt and taking names in the information domain, as the intelligence <laughs> and, community says, and he's continuing to do that by coming here. Well, Lindsey Graham came out and again reiterated his support for Ukraine and said that after all of this, you cannot give up any land to Russia. After everything that they've done, it would be insulting to concede or to negotiate. So he looks at this as the long term in order to stabilize the world and to make things better for everyone. We need to make sure we stand up to Russia on all fronts and not negotiate with them. Uh, Do you think that's still the stance the United States needs to take or do you think we should look at a different route? I think for the time being, it's it's perfectly okay to be saying that, and that's probably what he needs to say. Since I'm not in office, I can uh, <laughs> I can speculate. Let me just take a minute. Um, we're, we are approaching, I think, a kind of inflection point for the war. So where America's interests and the Ukrainian interests may diverge somewhat, okay? So our interest in this was weakening the Russian state because Russia under Putin has become a um, an, an adversary of the United States all over the world. And uh, in particular, in the Middle East and in the Far East, where, where he's just become Robin to Xi Jinping's Batman. So weakening the Russian state was a very good thing. And we also want to establish an equilibrium, reestablish an equilibrium in Europe because The instability there is not good for all kinds of reasons, refugees, energy issues, the whole ball of wax. Well, the Russian state has been pretty significantly weakened, and we do want that equilibrium. And it's going to take a long time to get an equilibrium if if it depends on the Ukrainians getting every square inch of territory back. And I'm not sure that's good for the Ukrainians either, because although I think they're winning on the battlefield, their economy is being hurt very badly. Right. So uh, I, I'm sorry. I know I'm going on a long yeah. time, but basically, <laughs> the time may come when we need to have some very private conversations with Zelensky about what he might be able to accept in return for ending the war. Right. Now, uh, Lindsay's right. We cannot be seen as betraying an ally. Too much mm-hmm. of that. So no, we're not going to undercut them, but we should have some discussions with. Them. And I feel like we've already betrayed in some ways. I thought we would step in and help them, much like when they agreed to give up their nukes. What was it in the 90s or whatever? We said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll come step in. But then a lot of these European nations, uh, no, (laughs) it didn't really seem to pan out the way that they agreed originally. Yeah, I think it's very fair to say this this war has occurred because of the fecklessness of the the uh the nato allies and the united states shares some of the responsibility for that you know we drew down so far in europe 
Uh, we just thought, well, there's never any danger of conflict. In, as of 2013, we didn't have a working tank in Europe. So this kind of thing encourages aggressors uh, like Putin. Had we taken a stronger line across the board and armed the Ukraines better, now Trump did a lot of it, uh, we might have been able to deter this thing. Yep. Former Missouri Senator Jim Talent joining us now on 97.1. You hear a lot of threats from Russia and Putin, and it seems to ramp up every once in a while when you think that they're on the ropes. You wonder if it's just some sort of tactic to puff up your chest to make yourself look mightier than they are. But there's another threat that came out. If we can play that clip, Abby, this is uh, clip number 13 of Vladimir Putin. Was. We will continue to maintain the combat readiness and improve the combat readiness of the nuclear triad. This is the main guarantee of preserving our sovereignty and territorial integrity. So we've heard these threats before from Vladimir Putin. Uh, is there any escalation or is this more of the same of what we've seen? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you were saying before. Uh, I think he's um, he's throwing that out in an effort to keep us from helping the Ukrainians. And I think the right response to that is to continue the policy, not use American troops or NATO troops, but to support them even more. Uh, says, oh, you're going to threaten, so we're going to send them attack now, which is a longer-range precision missile. Uh, I think we should have been doing that anyway. The policy is to support them but not use American troops, which I believe very strongly. I've opposed the no-fly zone, for example, have to be enforced by NATO troops. But I think we should be sending them more. Uh, I'm not particularly concerned about these kinds of threats. Now, whenever you have a war, you have a, a danger of escalation. It's a good reason to try and deter him. But no, we can't let him uh, bully us out of a policy that's in our interest. Right. Um, let's look to about the threat that Russia continues to have. And it seems like once in a while you'll see those online memes, which over time will show you the different land that they've held, then lost, then held, then lost. And I think in the last 300 plus days, considering this has gone on for almost a year, I mean, we're coming up on a year next year, uh, a lot has been won, a lot has been lost. Can we just expect more of that, more wins, more losses? Or do you think that the end may be in sight with the state that Russia's in today? It's possible that the Russian forces could collapse over the winter, but I don't think that's likely to happen. I think the Ukraines are going to continue pressuring on uh, uh, across a pretty broad front as much as in order uh, as fixing attacks, pardon me, as really, I think, hoping for a breakthrough. In other words, they don't want to give Putin space to be able to pull back his forces, retrain and reconstitute. And then I think in the spring, um, the Ukraines are reconstituting. And if they get support, I would expect a, another offensive in the spring. Uh I don't know that we're going to get the kind of breakthroughs we had um, around Kharkiv, but I think they're going to. There's a very good chance that they will continue making pro progress in the spring. So, but I do not. I, I can't stand here and tell you that the experts are predicting, or uh, you know, that the Russia is just going to withdraw from the field. I, I don't. I don't see that happening. All right. So this may be a, kind of a morbid question, but we've heard some different stories about Vladimir Putin's health failing him, may suffering cancer, him falling down steps. You know, you, you hear these little tidbits of information that may lead us to believe he is not in good health. What do you think lasts longer, uh, Vladimir Putin's life or this war with Ukraine and Russia continuing? 
well, probably Vladimir Putin's life, but his power has been degraded now. And I don't think he's going to be able to hang on long enough to build it up again. I mean, Mm. if we can achieve an honorable peace for the Ukrainians and uh, an an equilibrium, stability in Eastern Europe, and we could talk about what that might entail, and if we can keep pushing the Europeans to keep their word, build up some of their defenses so they can forward position more troops, NATO's going to come out of this a lot stronger. I mean, we're going to get Finland and Sweden. So that part of the world will be more secure. And that's really what we're buying with all this money. Now, then we still have the problem in Indo-PACOM and in other places with the Chinese, but we have an opportunity for a success here. Yeah. Um, Can I switch gears here and talk to you about intelligence, the FBI, and what we've learned about Twitter? Is that okay? Yeah. I've read read enough to be able to answer your questions on that. Yeah. Well, the hypothetical, I know that you've been very involved in the intelligence community and, and paid attention. And what we've learned from the Twitter files as of recently is that a lot of foreign FBI, well, not foreign, excuse me, uh, former FBI agents later hired at Twitter. Some people are wondering, is it possible that someone may be working for the FBI and at the same time also may be working for a tech company, almost in a dual nature? And in the way that's the FBI monitoring and using these social media networks for their own bidding, some people looking at these Twitter files are starting to suspect that maybe the government had agents inside of these tech companies working on their behalf. Uh, Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I do. Hmm. You can't put anything past the spooks. Okay, Hmm. but I'll tell you what bothers me about this is, I mean, there's a lot that bothers me about it. But the worst thing is that the Bureau was involved in political censorship, which it absolutely should not do. And in particular, during an election, this is a very, very serious breach. And if people would step back and think about it, uh, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, I think. You would believe that. I mean, I, you know, I, from what I've been reading, mm-hmm. uh, they conditioned Twitter and probably Facebook as well for months and months to believe that the Hunter Biden laptop uh, was a disinformation yeah. in an effort to suppress it. And that's interference in an election. And they're not supposed to do that. And so I have come around. You know, I've always been a very strong supporter of robust intelligence collection and of the Bureau. But I, I've come around over the last few years to believe that there's a cabal at the top and we need to get rid of them and we need to reinstitute um, some safeguards that, that's going to keep the bureau in line. It's going to take the next president to do it, unfortunately, but uh, um, it, ha- it needs to happen. You know, and there was something else that came out in this and it made me wonder. Um, I forgot it was the Aspen Institute or something like that, which basically reading it sounded like the government was funding these workshops and they were calling representatives from these tech companies, calling representatives from the media, newspapers, television, and they were coaching them in a way on how to handle certain stories. For example, the Hunter Biden laptop story. Have you ever seen that in the intelligence community where they would find agents coaching media, newspapers, and even tech companies on how to handle certain situations? Well, most of my experience with classified intelligence, and I've obviously had a considerable amount of it, um, even since leaving the Senate, I was on the defense policy. I've been in a bunch of advisory commissions where I've had to be briefed on a lot of these issues, but most of it has been with 
foreign intelligence, what's happening in foreign countries. Uh, I, wouldn't, I, I was never in an oversight position of the Bureau. Okay, so, but I am, I'm at the point where uh, I'm not prepared to rule almost anything out. In other words, five years ago, I would have said, look, I have a pretty high confidence level that if they're not supposed to be doing it, they're not doing it, at least institutionally. But I've seen too much, like with the FISA court. I mean, forget about just what they, that they did to the Trump campaign. The inspector general uh, did a thorough audit of their FISA warrant applications, and they're supposed to keep information separately, and they're supposed to keep what's called a Woods file to justify uh, these FISA warrants on Americans, okay? And the, the inspector general basically just said there was a wholesale disregard for the rules. And this just is not acceptable. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's. Um, I hoped that Attorney General Barr was going to uh, clean that up. I don't understand why it wasn't. We need somebody with a real record of accomplishment uh, to go in there and, and do a job. Wow. So I, look, I've, I'm different on these issues. I mean, basically, my priors are different than they would have been five years ago. It's amazing. Uh, it really is. Watching this information come out, made transparent, and you can only assume by multiple folds to these other larger tech companies. And it, there's just so much to unravel with that. Also talking about that trip to D.C. with uh, President Zelensky from Ukraine, visiting the White House with President Biden. Former Missouri Senator Jim Talent, thank you for coming on, discussing these things with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas to you as well. Uh, joining us after the break, uh, George Yin is a professor emeritus of law, University of Virginia, has some concerns with releasing the tax records of President Trump. What could that mean in a new era and how can that be weaponized? We'll talk to him about that coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker filling in 97.1 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com.